Hey, hey John. Doing, How are you, buddy? I'm excellent because I'm speaking with a fellow Long Island native. Is your day going fine aside from having to talk to media people? Well, actually, hearing your accent is all like warm and fuzzies for me, buddy. So are you on the island now? Yes, Long Beach, New York. Did you spend summers oh, here? I did. My grandmother used to have an apartment building, six flats right there. And I used to spend summers there. She wanted to rent the apartments, but she didn't. So my aunts and my uncles lived in all the apartments. And I would and go spend the summers there in Long Beach. Wow. And Joan Jett lives on our block now. I'm sure you managed plenty of gigs for her at the Troubadour. <laughs> Many years ago, we did, actually. You bet. You bet. Oh. Well, it's great to talk to you, Don. Yeah, likewise. Before I delve into all that, Bar Rescue, over 200 episodes now. MASH, I believe, was like 251. Did you know outright that you were going to be going this far and this long into the show when you started it? No, I didn't even think the show was going to get picked up. I was excited. I was doing a pilot down. I mean, I made a pilot, man. How cool is that? So flying cool. home. And then when we were picked up, uh, uh, I never thought there'd be a season two, three, four or five. So it's it's now almost 12 years, 220 some odd episodes we're in right now. And it's unbelievable. It, it sort of feels like I've been hugged by America in a strange way, Darren. It, it's amazingly flattering that people take their time to watch me on television is the most flattering thing that's ever happened to me. So, you know, I'll shake every hand, I'll hug every fan, I'll send every picture of anybody who sends notes to us. And I'm just incredibly appreciative of everyone for, for supporting me all these years and, and, and watching us. Well, this is intended to be a compliment. Your success reminds you of Steve Sharippa, where he was this behind the scenes success management business guy, and then just kind of got the bug of, oh, I'm gonna entertain. When did people start telling you, because I know you were a drummer in a band first, when was it that you decided, hey, I'm going on camera? You know, it's funny. Steve's a buddy of mine. So, so I, he and I do relate to that story. I was giving, I was a bar guy. I had won a lot of awards and I was very well known in my industry. And I was doing speeches around the world. And I'm giving a speech in Las Vegas. And somebody comes up to me after the speech and says, you should be on television. So I wrote up this document called On the Rocks which was a cross between Mission Impossible and Kitchen Nightmares. But I would have files of mixologists sure. that I would pick from and, and start my mission team and then get dropped in. And so I had done consulting work for Paramount Licensing before for Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. Hmm. So I went to my buddies at Paramount and I showed them my write-up and I said, what do you think? And they looked at me and I'll say it cleaner than they said it to me, Darren. They said to me, John, you will never freaking be on television. You're too old. You're not good looking enough. Forget it. No, disagreed. So I drove out of the Paramount gates that day and said, I'm going to do this myself. I shot my own scissor reel, sent it to four different companies, uh, uh, got it picked up, it released on Spike. And then the ultimate ending to the story is I'm on the Paramount network now, which is all full circle to the entire thing. But no, I never thought this would be in my life. I never planned on this being in my life. Uh, you know, it just goes to show you. John Lennon once said, life is what happens when you make other plans, right? And you've also had success with the Taffer's Mixologist brand. Still active, still going with that? Still going with that. We're doing fine with that. And our Taffer's Tavern restaurants are, are growing. We're opening in D.C. in about 60 days and Boston in about 90 days. So that's going really well. We uh, introduced a, uh, our first frozen food product line for Costco under Taffer's Tavern brand. So you'll see more products in Costco on that brand in the next few months. We've been very successful there. So there's a lot going on. And, and uh, uh, the trick is to only do the things you believe in, Darren. 
you know, and only do things that you would give to your own family. And if you maintain that kind of a standard and don't sell your name or license your name to anything that you don't run, that you don't control, and that you don't believe in yourself, uh, uh, that's how you protect your brand. And I've, I've been very, very conscious of that throughout the process. So I don't license my name to people. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. Well, Bar Rescue had a great season where you just visit Vegas locations. My wife and I are back to Vegas in about 36 hours. Where do we get your cocktail of choice, The Godfather? What, what's a great spot or two for that? Well, Lavo is a great spot for Great Godfather, but, but there's an, a, a number of other uh, 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 spots in Vegas. Um, the Chandelier Bar in Cosmopolitan is a great mixology bar. Vespa is another great mixology bar. All of those will make a perfect Godfather for you, buddy. Wow. Okay. Long Island question for you. The yeah. year that you graduated from your high school in Great Neck, Kenneth Cole graduated from the other high school. Did you know Kenneth Cole in high school? I did not know Kenneth Cole. He went to North. I went to South. Uh, I did not. I didn't know Andy Kaufman either, who actually graduated, I guess, two years before me, but was in the school when I was. No, I never knew who he was. And I've never met him, actually. Wow. Okay. Great neck Jewish geography. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, now, the Troubadour, as I mentioned before, you were there in what we can say are the coolest years aside from the Laurel Canyon stuff. Did you have a lot of time around Deadly Roth, Stephen Piercy, all the greats like that? I did. I did. But we also, that was a time of Adamant, Black Flag. Uh, um, all those bands were playing then when we ran a Troubadour. But at the same time, the new wave thing was hitting. So the knack would be playing the day after Black Flag, which, you know, you want to talk about differences in entertainment. It was a very, very exciting time in music in those days. You know, music then wasn't done by producers. It was done by musicians. And they weren't computerized instruments. They were real instruments and they were real recording sessions. So it was a very different time in music. And, you know, I got to watch all those people perform on those stages from Springsteen to, to, to you know, all those wonderful, wonderful musicians over the years, including guys like George Carlin, who we got to see on the stage as well. Hmm. And as I alluded to before, drummer, when's the last time you picked up a pair of sticks and drummed? I'm going to surprise you. Five days ago. Five days ago, entirely for fun, or could there be a secret album or you're playing at an opening of one of the Taffer's Tavern locations? I have a really good friend, Jeff Gantz, who's, who's a, a maestro bass player, who's played with Johnny Winter and everybody, and he's been talking to me to do some kind of a road show. I have a full drum set in my house, a, a big full drum set, double bass set, and I play all the time at, at, in my house. It's an important escape for me, and I have entertained doing something again. Uh, uh, to possibly go on a road and do a few shows with somebody, but we'll see. We'll see. Wow. I got to tell you, I can still fake it. I don't have my chops like I used to, buddy. I don't have the speed that I used to, but I can still fake it and keep time. So I could sneak through it if I had to. Are you a better drummer than Dice Clay? Uh, I would say yes. Dice Clay takes credit for reuniting Guns N' Roses, but hey, you were around the scene uh, around that same era and all that were you a hair metal guy or are you just a punk rock guy that happened to be around the hair metal 
you know, I was really more of a rock and roll guy, tell you the truth. I wasn't, I just happened to run the Troubadour during that era. So I got to know all those guys and I was a part of it. But, you know, I was as much a part of classic rock and, and alternative rock and even folk rock. And, and you know, I love music. I took music lessons for nine years when I was a kid. Uh, uh, so drumming was a serious thing to me. I could read music. I could write music. So, you know, I looked at music in a very, very broad way and was appreciative of all types of it. Uh, uh, so, you know, to this day, anytime I get in my car, I'm playing the drums on my steering wheel. I'm always playing and thinking music. There's always music in my head, Darren, all the time. Well, going back uh, as my last question to something you talked about, how this is all unexpected success for you now growing and growing and growing. Are you the kind of person that says now that we're here, we can go further? Or is it just all, you know, icing at the top, cherry on top kind of stuff for you? And you're not really pursuing stuff. Oh, no, I want to take it further. I totally want to take it further. You know, there's bars all over the world. There's a global opportunity here, which, which we're talking about. But absolutely, I want to take it further. I want to introduce new technologies, new systems, new procedures. You know, I own the only patent ever issued by the federal government for music management to achieve a desired ambiance in a hospitality property. I'm a nutcase when it comes to music programming, video programming. I mean, Taffer's Tavern, it isn't music. It's curated music, curated video content. So I'm nuts about these kind of things. So, so, you know, I'm always creating new things that we can bring to the business to make it better. And I really enjoy doing that. So, yeah, always bigger, always better, buddy. Well, you remain to me the hybrid of a Jerky Boys character and David Lee Roth, and I love it. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to whatever's to come from you in the future. Congrats on episode 200 something and hope you surpass MASH in the near future. Awesome. Thank you, Don. Great talking to you, buddy. Evan, uh, thank you for doing this. Is this a good day for you so far, aside from having to talk to media people? Oh, yeah. No, um, today's been a good day. Um, um, I've been having a busy week. I just got back from Los Angeles like four o'clock this morning um, doing my first um, boxing press conference and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's been good um, having this experience. Right. Well, we were connected to talk about legacy in the shadow of greatness. How long were you filmed for the documentary for? Um, it was about three years. Um, they had started when I was around 21. And that was like before I had my first fight, you know, so they captured my first fight, you know, as you can see. And um, the last fight they, um, they were able to capture was my, my eighth one, you know. Uh, I'm currently 9-0. So for the most part, they caught, you know, more than 90% of my, of my whole career. So it's a great journey to be a part of. It's fantastic to see a whole career like that documented so far. But did you have any hesitation at the beginning of, oh, I don't want to be a reality boxer? Because, you know, we've seen successes and we've seen failures when it comes to becoming a, an athlete that is also kind of famous for different reasons. So hesitation? Um, well, when it first was um, pitched to me, um, it was kind of like it was kind of like for my brother. So my brother plays in the NFL. So, you know, um, when he had brought it to me, uh, of course, um, I kind of jumped at it because, you know, it's my brother. You know, I do anything to help my brother. I love my brother. And, um, and I know he would have steered me into any um, any direction that, you know, wouldn't be um, really positive for his for his good nor mine. So, um, you know, I knew it would be a, a dip a bit different or it was a bit um, of a foreign, um, a foreign territory to have, um, you know, cameras falling around. 
but I knew um I knew always, you know, if I as long as I do the right things, um, you know, I, I shouldn't be perceived in the wrong way or anything like that. So it was just kind of like that. I didn't want it to be any like drama right. or anything like that. And um, you know, they had told me, you know, like, no, nah, this is like no Kim Kardashian thing. This is like, you know, an actual sports thing. Um, and they was telling me how um the credentials of John Hawk and the Really, all they had to say was 30 for 30, and, you know, they had me, you know. That was, like, the first credential they said. And he said, oh, yeah, the director did 30 for 30, and I said, oh, yeah, I, I know he's good. <laughs> yeah, 30 for 30 is kind of the gold standard when it comes to sports documentaries. Any episodes that you remember that you went, that is great? Like, for example, for me, the Ric Flair episode was perfect. Yeah, um, there was a couple episodes, but um, – I know they had did a really, really good job with that episode, my God. And um, you know, it's just it's a little bit um more at home when it's when it's somebody when it's stories that you heard actually coming from your dad and but you you know what I mean, but you actually see it now, you know what I mean? It's actually like visual representation to like the stories that he's been telling you. And you know, it was it was really um it was really neat seeing that, you know, and really to see it all come together. So that's when I knew I was like, Yeah, you know, this is gonna be something legit. I grew up a fan of your father. I think I had the Sega Genesis game, Real Deal Boxing, where you could build your own boxer, which was exciting. Did you grow up a gamer? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still gaming to this day. You know, as a matter of fact, look, you see, I did the move. It's right here, right next to me, the PS5 controller, you know? So um, I'm always, I've always been in the game. I grew up on the game, and um, I just feel like, you know, this is kind of, part of today's generation um generation and youth you know um sorry you have to miss out on it <laughs> i hear it go both ways because i interview a lot of mma fighters wrestlers boxers and some of them are so anti-gaming where they think it makes them a nerd it distracts them and then i've heard other people say no it actually helps my reflexes in your case uh, fast hands does it actually help your reflexes I would, I would, I really couldn't say, you know, it necessarily helps my reflexes, but I feel like, um, you know, life is all about balance, you know what I mean? And, you know, if anybody um, knows, I bring my, my gaming system wherever I go. So like, you know, there's been times where I've been literally been on live playing games with the fans, like the day of my fight and then, you know, going to fight and then, you know, I'll see some of the comments, but, oh yeah, I was playing Call of Duty Warzone with him um, earlier before he had fought, right. you know what I mean? So, but. You know, I feel like, um, but with some games, I feel like it kind of does, you know, alter your thinking a little bit. Because as I play like fighting games, like you know, like um, UFC and stuff like that, yeah, I find myself, um, you know, you know, working um different strategies and things. You know, just seeing if it'll work in the game and stuff like that. So I, uh, I feel like it can really um go both ways, I guess. When I was a kid. There was only like a handful of athletes who could do more than one sport. Like we always talked about Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders and Michael Jordan's kind of bad attempt into baseball. I think he was better than people give him credit for. But nowadays we see boxers who go into MMA, NFL players who go into MMA, MMA people go into wrestling, wrestlers who go into MMA. It's kind of like people are able to go this is my dream to do this do you have your eye on mma or wrestling or is it boxing is everything um boxing is just everything for me right now um i had 
I had a chance to um, do all those sports coming up. Um, I wrestled in eighth grade. Um, you know, wrestling just wasn't for me. I just, I just couldn't get into the whole leotard thing. Didn't like the whole uniforms and stuff like that. <laughs> I love that answer because, yeah, that is maybe the worst uniform of any sport. Amateur wrestling. Is there anything worse? That so like speedos, the- you know. Well, but I feel like. That's just comes with that's just comes with swim community. So you just like you know what I mean. Everybody's in speedos, so. But I feel like it's got to be between a leotard and those speedos. One, it's got to be one, either one of the two of them. You know. Totally, uh, I would say the old school tennis clothing, like the all whites short shorts, that was oh, yeah. kind of bad. But now you don't have to wear that anymore. No, you definitely don't have to wear it. And if you have the right legs, you probably could pull it off. You know. But there's no pulling off the leotard. You, you just really have to be a real physical specimen to pull off that leotard, you know? For sure. What was your weight class as an amateur wrestler? Shoot, I don't remember, really remember, but I can promise you it wasn't, it was nothing over a buck 50. It was probably like, yeah, probably like 140 or something. Yeah. But I remember there was this one kid on my own wrestling team. He won county um, a couple years in a row. And um, it's my first, it's my first year wrestling. And it, and, it, and it really kind of just kind of really just taught me, like, you know, there's definitely levels to the sports. Like, you know, like I know like Jordan Burroughs, I know he's had like vast experience in what he's been doing. There was this guy named Aaron. And um, I wanted to, you know, there's, you know, this A team and this B team. Everybody wanted to be A team. Right. And that's the first that's the first time I really had like, you know, legitimate, legitimately like been beat. Like, you know, like there was nothing I could do about it. He's just honestly just knew more to me. And, you know, I went to go – I went up a weight division just so I could be able to A-team and I should beat the next person up, you know. And he just didn't have – he just didn't have enough experience. He was new like me, but I was just stronger than him. So, like, right. it was more so even. So, you know, that's when I knew wrestling was different, you know. I was like, it's not just, like, wrestling your brothers and sisters. just really, like, half Nelson, you know what I mean? It's really, like, you know, who knows the most pretty much. So, well, really yeah. And go, going back to Legacy in the Shadow of Greatness here, you're not the only star of the film, but did you know Vashti or any of the other people involved before you started filming? Uh, I think I heard of Zaire Wade. I'm, I'm sure I had heard of Zaire Wade, uh, Zaire Wade and I had seen him, you know, just around, not like in person, but like, just like over social media and stuff like that when he was younger. Um, but, then, you know, that's just kind of just comes with the publicity and just being with your father yeah, um, and stuff like that. But um. I didn't learn about Vashti Cunningham until um until the documentary. But to be honest, I'm glad I'm glad to be part of this documentary. And I'm glad to, um, I haven't met any of them um, personally, but I'm glad to, to learn about them because you know um, you know they all seem to be pretty talented and just learn about their stories. I feel like you know they all have something you know special within them. You know to you know to get themselves. So they they may honest and true fans out of myself. And another uh, innovation of being a professional athlete these days is you have to have endorsements. You have to have products that you have a venture in. Is there anything that you can plug at the moment or is it all, I'll, I'll tell you when the time is right kind of stuff. Oh, no, I have, um, I have a couple of partners and endorsements and stuff and um, people who help me out. Um, You know, I can give a shout out to um, first off my glove company, Habusa. There's not too many gloves I can wear in the pro game, um, you know, that really, like, keep my hands, you know, protected and let me, like, throw pretty much whatever I want and have passively in the back of my hand, but, oh, yeah, I can hurt my hand. You know, <laughs> hy- 
you know, right. Hibusa, you know, they, they really have been helping me out and, you know, they give me all my gear and, you know, the train gloves are good and, and the pro gloves are the ones that are for me, you know? Um, and my other sponsor, Georgia Hemp Company, um, it's a CBD company, um, essentially. So, you know, a thing about today, hey, that's the best thing about, you know, growing up in today, you know, each generation gets better. So, like, you know, um, we have so many great athletes like Michael Jordan and my dad, you know, Randall Cunningham, you know, Dwayne Wade. But, like, you know, the truth is, you know, they say each generation gets better. So, like, you know, the athletes in the next generation, you know, not talk about my generation, are going to be better than this generation because technology is going to be better, you know. And um, with um, things like CBD and stuff like that, it's just a blessing to have them on my team because it's about staying ahead of the curve and not letting your body break down because sometimes when your body breaks down, it's too late, you know? It's just like having in your car, you know, your body's like a car, you know? If, if, you, if you're not changing the oil until, the, to the, um, until your car breaks down, hey. you're, you're too late, you know what I mean? It's going to cost you way more to fix it than, um, than really what it was is keeping up with it. So um, that's what I can say about the CBD. The CBD is, um, it's not about being high. It's about right. recovering and healing. So, um, you know, CBD takes out those chemicals and, uh, and those chemical properties that, you know, that, that make it psychoactive. So it just makes it literally just about taking care of your body and keep your, the machine well oiled. So well said. Um, well said. And, you know, those, those are my sponsors. <laughs> the last thing I want to know before I let you go is when you have control of the stereo at the gym, what are you listening to musically? Are you a high beats per minute guy? Or are you a, if it sounds good, I don't care. Um, it's funny because around my gym, most of the people are just like, you know, if it sounds good, I don't care. You know what I mean? So like when I'm in the gym with other people and stuff like that and the other fighters, I'll let them put on their music because I'm I'm real easy to go with. You know what I mean? I listen to all types of music. But if it's really this is like up to me or it's like really like a personal session and mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, trying to work on stuff like that, it will get kind of weird in there on that stereo on that stereo because you know what i mean i can go from some hip-hop or if i'm really really trying to work on something and i'm trying to be like creative and i'm trying to just get my mind going it'll most likely be like some electronic dance hall music you know what i mean some you know some good rhythm you know i feel like you know that really kind of like opens up the door for my um my, my, my creativeness off of those weird beats you know i could find some some little weird digits in it so it's all about the creativity. Yeah. Well, congratulations on this great feature documentary series, because let's face it, you're giving the world your truth, your story and your words. So that's fantastic to see. Congratulations on still being undefeated. Looking forward to that next fight. Great endorsements. And before long, I think that they're going to be going, oh, so Evander's the father? What? I, of that famous boxer? I think that's going to be in a couple of years, man. Hey, hopefully, hopefully, you know, one fight at a time, one day at a time. Hello. Hey, how's it going there, Salma? Good, how are you? Great, thank you for dialing in. Are you calling in from New York or are you back in Canada? Yes, I literally just landed in New York like right now, like an hour ago. <laughs> Welcome. JFK, LaGuardia, or Long Island Republic? Uh, LaGuardia, that's what I usually end up landing or going to that's like my go-to yeah <laughs> no wonder you need comfort animal right now to yeah <laughs> party is terrible but uh thank he's, you oh no sorry i was just saying he's being extra clingy because i've been away so 
I can imagine, but I appreciate you taking the time because just on the road and you had people talking because the Chelsea Handler dates and you have this new album in a week and a half, kind of a very uh, busy, busy month for you, wouldn't you say? Yeah, super busy. Um, yeah, and, and I'm really, really grateful like that there's so much happening, uh, but also like just super tired. <laughs> Um, I'm in a couple of writers rooms right now as well, but those are wrapping up. So I think for, I think maybe in like a couple of weeks, a lot more time will open up for me, hopefully. Sure. So what made you move to New York? Was it to be in those writers rooms? Um, yeah, I think like I had gotten into the writers rooms when I was still in Toronto, but I guess, and everything's kind of virtual right now, but I guess in my mind, I was like, okay, I want to be able to, first of all, I had to quit my engineering job to be able to like work in the writer's room. Right. Um, and so that made me be like, okay, well, if I'm going to be broken at home in Toronto, might as well just be broken at home in New York. And, you know, their comedy scene is massive. It's so great here. And I really, really wanted to cultivate stand up. Um, because I feel like it's opened a lot of doors for me. And so uh, so that's kind of what made me move to New York. And also I was hoping that, you know, I could use the momentum from the, like the room that I'm in right now and just moving there to kind of maybe get me into other writers' rooms and stuff. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of like my plan. You mentioned the engineer part, not me. It's a focus of yeah. the documentary about you. Do you know the other engineer former engineer and comedy brooks whelan did the two engineers know each other brooks whelan no i don't think i've heard of them he was on snl for one season and okay. then i guess became more of a full-time podcaster stand-up but if you ever see that name you'll commiserate over the engineer thing okay yeah there are a few of us actually leonard chan in toronto is also an engineer or former engineer rather um what else I, th I think there's a couple of other people who are also former engineers uh but yeah it's not it's not that uncommon <laughs> to just like study for so long and then leave your career completely for something else right well when exactly did this become a full-time career for you in comedy not like the fun thing that you were still doing 30 to 40 hours a week for fun right um yeah it was in november officially when i left my engineering job for this writer's room uh but it was wild like it definitely built up because before i think if you had found me in like 2018 i would have been like oh no no, no comedy's for fun like never gonna do it for full time nope no 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 and i was also still trying to like fit the conservative mold that I grew up in. Like I was like, oh no, like family comes first. And like, I'm not that like one negates the other, but for some reason I was like taught that growing up. Mm -hmm. So I was just kind of like, no, like I'm going to be domesticated and like, you know, like comedy is not actually going to be a real thing. Um, and then I think like last year was when I was like, uh, or maybe like 2020 or 2021 where I was like, yeah, yeah, like the goal definitely is to do this full time, but I don't know when I'm going to make that call. And I wasn't in a hurry either. Like I, I really liked what I had going on, which was like I was doing my engineering job, which had a really good work-life balance. And also I was working on like writing, screenwriting, um, taking mm -hmm. acting lessons, like whatever, all that kind of stuff and doing my stand-up shows. And so I was like, okay, we have a pretty good system. But then also, yeah, in November, what had happened as well was um, I got into the writer's room, but around that time or right before that time, my job, my engineering job was trying to make me like ramp up. 
uh, and take on more initiatives. And I was like, no, 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 no. I cannot be ramping up right now. I need to be winding down. <laughs> like right. I get, yeah. And cause at the same time, it was like, I got the writer's room and then I got into another room and then I had my job, the engineering job. And then I was recording my album. So I was like, this is too much. Like I, I feel like I operate at, at the capacity of like maybe three to four people. But at that point I was like, no, I can't even like, you know, when the, the busyness becomes like super stressful. So oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I like to operate between like an, an 80 to 90% busy, but this was like beyond 90%. So I was like, I can't do this. Outro cast.